called this series uh, Love Songs, and we said that from the very beginning in January and February, we wanted as a church to take two months and do something that would help marriages and relationships in our community, because let's just agree that that's one of the things that creates a pain point in our world and in our life. And so we've been in there and we've been looking at the greatest hits. Today's um, love song, you're going to find it in uh, Song of Songs, chapter six. And uh, this love song is a breakup song, right? And so breakup songs are famous. It's what made probably Taylor Swift famous. Um, there's something about listening to a song that connects to a pain point in your life. And Solomon wrote about it in Song of Songs. He, he said this, he said, um, where has your lover gone, a woman of rare beauty? Which way did he turn so we could so we can help you find him. And so she, he starts off with this, just this picture of long, love songs and connections and breakups. Now, the truth is this, is breakups can happen in all levels, right? Like sometimes like you have a breakup and you feel great and the other person doesn't, okay? Won't make you raise your hand if you've had that story. <laughs> Some of our breakups are funny. Um, I was thinking about, so before Janine, I only dated one girl for four weeks, and her name was Rachel, and um, it was, I was 16. Uh, I remember um, we went on, uh, we went to a dance together, we went on a couple dates, one day we went and I kissed her on the front porch, and it was my first kiss, and I was like so like Twitter-pated, like do you remember what that word is from Bambi, if you know, right? I, I was just like floating. I got in my car, I backed up into another car. <laughs> Not the greatest move I've ever played, but you know, I thought I had some game up until that point. I had got her like a stuffy and some chocolates. It was Valentine's Day, like it was great. The next day after Valentine's Day, she broke up with me. I was heartbroken for at least four to six hours, <laughs> right? I just, it, it's, it's interesting, like, you know, we can have different levels of feelings on this. We want to talk about this talk, topic because I believe this, God cares about heartbreak. He cares about all the emotions we feel, and in all of our feelings, both high and low, there's something about it that connects us to God. And so when we read Song of Songs, there's a few things that you can read about it. First, like Song of Songs is literally written about God and his love for Israel. It's layered. It's written about God and his love for the church. It's also written between God and his love between a man and a woman and that he created, this love for a man and a woman. And so what's interesting is, so I'm reading commentaries on chapter six. And when you get to chapter six, there becomes this divide about the allegory between a man and a woman. So most commentaries will say that the love between a man and a woman is between Solomon and the Shulamite woman. Like that's, that's what they think the love is about. So it's about a king and a woman in his courts and it's his love. And the word Shulamite means perfect one. So it's Solomon writing about, this is my greatest love. This is my love. This is the one that matters. Well, a second commentary writes that in chapter six, that it's not a two characters allegory, but it could be a three character allegory, which is like, whoa, what is, what is that? 
And the three, category, three um, character allegory says this, that there's a sheep herder involved. Now, this is where things get a little tantalizing, right? It's like, okay, man, you know, we got a love triangle going on in Song of Songs, right? And, and the story that the commentary writes is that, that truly the Shulamite woman's dad got in debt and sold her into Solomon's court as a concubine. And so she's forced to be in his court, but her true love is the sheep herder. So if you go through and read Song of Songs, if you read chapter 1, chapter 6, and chapter 8, in chapter 1 and 6, you see her heartache. She's calling for her lover, but she's saying this, the lover isn't Solomon, it's the sheep herder, right? And then in chapter 8, she flees to the countryside with her shepherd that she loves, and that that's the, the answer. And so when we hit chapter 6, and she says, where is my lover gone? There's this whole commentary that's saying, maybe, maybe it's her true love, and it's not Solomon. Now, I read all of that, and I just go, is there a point where you read into a song too much? Right? Aren't there songs that are urban legends in our world that people read into way too much? Right? Like, have you ever heard the urban legend about uh, In the Air Tonight, Phil Collins? Right? That he writes this song, and he writes it because he sees someone drowned, and there was someone that could help the person, but they didn't help him. And so, so Phil Collins is so angry, he finds this person, brings them to the concert, sings the song to them, the person leaves and ends their life. Who's heard that story? Right? It's this myth that goes around. And you know what Phil Collins says? That's a bunch of garbage. It never happened. Sometimes I think we'll walk into these stories and we'll start searching for something we're trying to figure out and we're missing what's going to happen. Solomon's writing about this greatest kind of love, this connection. And there's this understanding that heartbreak is something that's bad. And I, I had this, I, I had a fun conversation with my daughters. And, and I, I said, uh, I said uh, to my daughters, like, are, are you okay with heartbreak? They're, no, no. And I remember in my, uh, like, like in the 90s, in the 1900s, that's how old I am, right? Um, my whole goal was to like never have a breakup, never get hurt. I didn't want anyone to break my heart. And the hard thing about love is there's no way to put yourself out there without risk. There, there's no way. There, in fact, I, I, I could argue this. The more willing you are to have your heart broken, the deeper your relationships could be. But that is not easy. In fact, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Four Loves, he writes this. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal, right? Anyone have our heart broken by an animal? Okay, thank you for some honesty, right? Okay, wrap it up carefully with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Look it up, 
safe in the casket, lock it up safe in the casket and coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, in that safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It becomes unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. And then he writes this phrase that sticks out to me. To love is to be vulnerable. There's no way to love and not risk a broken heart. Now, when your heart breaks, you usually respond in one of two ways. One in two ways. And some of us, we have stories of heartbreak in our life. You feel pain, and when you feel pain, you kind of go one of two ways. The first way you go is this, is you go like, I'm going to armor up. I'm going to armor up, and I I wrote it this way, armored so that no one can ever hurt me again. We, We have kind of those feelings, and when you feel the pain of heartbreak, it's easy to armor up. And I notice like in my life when I'm talking to someone and I can tell they have armor on when they start saying blanket statements. All men are bad. All women will hurt you. That's how all churches are. Kids always disappoint you. There are these phrases we say to protect ourselves because we've been hurt. And I'll say this. It's human. It's human. This is what life is like. This is what happens. The second way we do it is instead of armoring up, we go reckless. We go reckless. And reckless says this, I will never be alone again. I'll never be alone again. And because of that drive to never be alone again, it's like, I'm going to date people that I shouldn't date. I'm going to be with people I shouldn't be with. And if I think they're going to break up with me, I'm going to break up with them first. I'm going to be the best breaker upper. We can get into this hurt stuff. And when we find ourselves in that, I think there's some, some symptoms that exist in our heart. Symptom one I wrote down is we get easily offended. We start getting like, if you've ever seen Jerry Seinfeld, right? He just starts picking everybody apart, looking for all of their flaws. We start to wallow in self-pity. And we start to get caught up in this bitterness, anger, resentment cycle. And I I believe this, and and this is where I want us to pivot today, is the message of the gospel is that that um, God loves the brokenhearted. God loves the brokenhearted. And Jesus actually ministered with a broken heart, and Jesus heals the brokenhearted. And when you read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus is actually very comfortable with pain and hurt and struggle. In fact, uh, Jesus, when he talked about the Beatitudes, when he, when he said the Beatitudes, he, he did this invitation to the world by saying this, the people that are going to find me are the poor in spirit. It's like, what does that even mean, poor in spirit? It's, it's the people who think, I have something to learn. Their, their pride is gone. And there's no quicker way to feel like you lose your pride than to have a broken heart. Jesus, when he ministered, he ministered with a broken heart. Uh, the story of Jerusalem is, is Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He sees the city. 
And he looks over the city and he begins to weep because the temple that he created was no longer what the vision was that God originally had for Israel and that temple. And he wept over his people. When Jesus heard that his close friend Lazarus died, what does he say? One of the most famous verses in the Bible. Jesus wept. And possibly my most favorite story of Jesus' just human relationship with human beings is while Jesus was being whipped and beating, prepared to be put on the cross, he hears his closest disciple, Peter, deny him three times. Peter is brokenhearted that he denied Christ. He told Christ he wouldn't do it. He still did it. And so what does he do? He leaves and he goes back to fishing. He hears the report, Jesus has been resurrected, and it's Simon that doesn't go to, it's Peter that doesn't go to Jesus quickly. It's Jesus who actually makes a fire on the shore, cooks some fish, and waits for Simon to come in. He arrives there, he sits down, and he has a conversation with Simon. And in the conversation, Jesus tells Simon, do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep. Three times, one for every time Simon denied Christ. God loves a broken heart. It's the vulnerable that allows us to open up, to share. There's no way to live this world without a level of brokenness in this world. Now, keep in mind, too, it's, it's not just, um, it's not just uh, like a spouse that can break our heart. It can, it can be our kids parents, family, all of us probably have a story somewhere where what we thought we had expected didn't happen. And so my question today is, is what can we learn from a broken heart? And I wrote down four simple things. I wrote this down. It's one, um, God gets to be your first love. God gets to be your first love. My wife said this last week. She said that when you read Song of Songs, it's actually an opportunity to read about how deeply God loves you because God is your first love. And I I do think in our human nature, our nature tends to be to look for human love first before God. Like if we have to be fully honest, some of you might be so spiritual and holy, you'd be like, not me. Not me, I always look to God first. I know there, I, I, I don't think anyone's going, I, I don't know the answer. I just think I am aware of our tendency. I have the same tendency to just go, who, who is it in my life that is filling my tank? And when we have a broken heart, it's an actual, a way of God creating space. I don't think he created the broken heart, but in that space, it recenters us that God is my first love. The second thing I wrote down is this, is your friends get to be there for you in a big way. Your friends get to be there for you in a big way. This is important. If you're in a season right now where you're mourning a relationship or you're feeling a breakup, one of the most important things that you've got to learn how to do is you've got to learn how to like raise your hand and say, I need help. I need help. My heart's hurting. I need some good friends to come around me. God God actually calls us to call on him and ask for help. Jesus literally said this, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, the ones who seek finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be 
open for you. I just wonder, are there, is there a season right now in your life where something's going on and you need help and nobody knows? One of the most amazing things, whenever I talk to someone who's going through a crisis, I always say this, do you know that there's an entire church of people ready to support and help you? But we need you to tell us what you need. We need you to tell us what you need. Because if we don't know what you need, how can we meet it? And so often, I'll hear stories that someone was going through something for a month, and they didn't tell anyone, and nobody knew, and they're like, I felt so alone, and I, I didn't get any help, and we're like, we didn't know. We didn't know. What does it look like to be someone who says, hey, this is a need. It's okay if you can't meet it, but this is where I'm at. I've noticed this. When you, when you don't ask for your needs, and what you get is you get a food train full of a lot of pasta, for every day, and you're like, thank you very much, but I really just needed someone to walk my dog once a week. That would have been a big help. We just need to know how to love each other well. Who's in your life right now that needs to know where you're at? Is there someone that you need to raise your hand and say, I need help, I need connection? Third thing, I wrote this down. You get to learn from your mistakes. We get to learn from our mistakes. Um, don't we make tons of mistakes? We, we just do. I learned this about who I am years ago on mistakes, is in 2017, bought a house, and uh, had to remodel it myself, which was a stretch for me. I had no tools, never done it before. And so my buddy came in every morning, and he would tell me, so he would, he would tell me, Brandon, here's what you need to do today. And then he would come back afterwards and tell me what I did wrong. So the first two days, he would tell me what he would do, and I would look at him just blank stared in my face. Okay, okay, okay. And then he would leave, and I would forget everything he said. And then I'd like call him on the phone, and he's like, hey, I actually have a job. I got things to do. I'm trying to help you, but, you know. And so I, we came up with this thing. He had to tell me three different ways before he left. Otherwise, I wouldn't know what the heck he's talking about. Now, you guys are probably quicker than me, but it took me three times before I got it. I, I just wonder, how many times in our life do we try something once and just say, I'm not very good at that? And how dangerous is it if it's in the area of love? Where we're like, I, I, I tried to date. I, I tried to be, and it, it, it didn't work, and so I just I don't want to do it anymore. We have to be the kind of people that say, hey, I'm gonna make mistakes. It, it's part of life. I'm gonna take some risks. And did you know that every mistake you make builds confidence? I'm always reminded of this. Like, if you felt rejected before, rejection is not the end of you. In fact, I read a book on a guy who said, I'm gonna do an experiment and I'm gonna try and spend 100 days being rejected. How many would think that'd be a fun experiment? This guy was excited about it. So he would, he would do crazy things. He, he would try and ask people for stuff that he just knew people would say no. He went um, and he was shocked. The first day he said this, I'm gonna walk up to a stranger's house and I'm gonna ask him if I can play soccer in their backyard. He's like, I'm just gonna just, so he knocks on the door and he's getting ready to get rejected and the person's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. So he goes, I went back and I kicked soccer ball for like 30 minutes. He goes, he goes, I got pulled over by a policeman and I asked the policeman, could I drive your car? And the policeman said, yes. 
He got to drive the car. He went to an airplane place where there's all these Cessnas and asked someone, could I fly your plane? The person said, yes. He goes, there were tons of times that I got rejected, but here's what I learned, that rejection is a numbers game. And you'll get rejected a lot less than you think if you put yourself out there. And so often people are so intimidated by the fact that I could make a mistake, I could look silly, someone could say no to me. And he's like, there's so much more in the world that we could have. Fourth and final thought. The fourth and final thought is this, is you get to feel what breaks the heart of God. When we're rejected, we're reminded that the rejection we feel is a rejection that God has felt. What's amazing for me, being a pastor is a unique thing. Most of the time when I'm in public, I like to not mention I'm a pastor. Like if I'm getting my hair cut or someplace. And I've learned this, that when I do say I'm a pastor, people do two things. They either confess, they're like, well, I haven't been to church in a long time, <laughs> right, right, right? Or, or they, they don't talk to me. They're, they're, they're out, or they'll tell me their face story if they have their face story. So those, those are the three things that happen. Every once in a while, I'll run into someone that's dealing with deep pain because for whatever reason, their faith didn't work out or there's a level of church hurt that happened in their journey. And then they will, they will spew on me is the only way I can describe it. And I used to take it really personal. And I started to realize they're, they're not rejecting me, they're, they're rejecting Jesus. And, and I didn't take it light, like that's their problem. I, I, it, I actually hurt for them. I had a chance to feel the heartbreak Jesus has for his sons and daughters that no longer trust him. And it breaks my heart. And heartbreak brings us closer to God in a way that we, we can never forget. When I was uh, in college, every year before Easter at chapel at Northwest University, uh, one of our professors would get up and he would share the story of the crucifixion. And I've heard the story of the crucifixion like you so, so many times, but what struck me about how he did it is he began to share what Jesus experienced physically from a medical perspective. So he began to start talking about what happens to the body when it's beaten or whipped. What would have happened to Jesus' brain and his blood? And what would his, his physicality begin happening? And he, he starts to go in and tell the whole story of what it feels like to have nails driven into your hands and your feet and to be raised. And then begin to explain clinically what having your arms over your head for extended time starts to cause your lungs to fill up to the point that Jesus' heart would have burst. And I'll never forget, he ended his sermon by saying, ultimately, Jesus died of a broken heart. I've never forgot that message. That it was Jesus that drove, that it was that you that drove Jesus to the cross. 
His love for you is what allowed him to come to this world and die in the most vulnerable way you could possibly die and risk a broken heart. I want us to be the kind of people that are so filled with love from God that we are not afraid to let a human on earth break our heart. And that when they do, we understand that that rejection is not the end of us. And that if we can be more willing to have a broken heart, maybe there'll be relationships in our life that will be deeper than we ever thought possible. And maybe we'll be able to understand Jesus more than we ever thought we could. I can invite you to stand as we close.